Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. When we come to our passage this morning, of course we have uh, visited this passage. This morning will be the uh, sixth time that we have come to this passage and uh, tried to make some reservations, or rather uh, try to make some resolutions and some statements and some give some thoughts about uh, what is uh, being stated here in these verses, of course. Uh, we realize that this is a uh, passage of Scripture written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica. And as he concludes his first epistle to the church at Thessalonica, he begins in uh, verse number 13 to deal uh, with some things uh, that they needed to hear. We've already dealt with the state of this church. By the time this letter comes, they are in the early years of their church and many of them in the early years of their walk with God. And so many of the truths that's being given are reassuring in nature, comforting in nature, and are elementary in nature as well. Here, the Apostle Paul is spoon-feeding doctrine uh, to these uh, Christians here in the church at Thessalonica. And as we come to verse number 13, we come to uh, these uh, few verses here, uh, these six verses here uh, that give to us the most famous passage of what uh, we would call the rapture of the church. Uh, this was something that Paul uh, said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 was a mystery that God was using him to unveil. So a, a spiritual truth that uh, had been kept secret, if you will, throughout all of the ages of time had been alluded to and uh, had been pictured in many different ways. And maybe if the Lord allow us before we are finished uh, today, we will be able to deal with some of those Old Testament pictures, if not this morning, tonight, of how God pointed us to the rapture in the Old Testament. Uh, but here we find this, um, what he calls a mystery in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, becoming uh, unveiled and being put to the forefront and be, being put in the limelight of spiritual uh, truth and scriptural understanding in the minds of these believers here in Thessalonica as he reminds, he reassures them in verse 13 of some things that had caused them great distress and then he begins to teach uh, them concerning uh, the catching away or what we call the rapture of the church. He says in verse number 8 18, uh, that this rapture was to this teaching of the rapture and the reality thereof would be something that would be a comfort uh, to them as believers in this church. And so we've taken the last several uh, times that we've been in this passage to preach on the subject and the series of messages on the Christian's comfort. And we've been kind of unfolding some truths about this rapture that are comforting. We've talked about uh, the promise of the rapture throughout the scripture and how the promise of the rapture is a comforting thing to the children of God. It is something that is promised to us. Amen. It's not just something that we uh, hope for, but it's something we have a hope, a biblical hope, a confident expectation of the, the promise of the rapture. We've talked about in this passage the particulars of the rapture, talked about the comforting sights and the comforting sounds and the comforting security that's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We've talked about the 
people of the rapture. Who is it that gets to go? 1 Corinthians 15 tells us there's two groups of people. There are the past saints and the present saints that will get to go. Those that have already died in Christ and those that are alive and remain. Amen. And so we see that. And then uh, we have been spending the last couple of messages dealing with what I'm calling the placement of the rapture. The placement of the rapture. We've seen that the placement of the rapture where it falls on God's uh, prophetic timetable. Amen. Tells us that the rapture is something to be awaited. That is Mark chapter 13, 34 through 37. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 through 44. But then we've also stated this, that not only is the placement of the rapture in God's prophetic timetable something that is placed there so that the children of God will await it and look for it and, and it, would, it would produce uh, spirituality in their life due to their uh, looking for it and longing for it and it gives them hope and encouragement for their labor for God but it also is placed where it is placed to allow an avoidance. We talked about 1 Thessalonians 5.9 that gives us a principle of scriptural truth by which uh, we determine where God is going to place his rapture where 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says for God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation from the Lord. Uh, no matter where you determine in your end time prophecy to place the rapture you must place it where you place it with that principle in mind that God's children have never been appointed to wrath but to obtain salvation from the Lord. We've dealt with that in a spiritual salvation sense but also it carries with it an application uh, toward end time prophecy. There is more wrath from God than just an eternal wrath in hell. The Bible tells us that there is wrath to come on this entire world in what is known as a tribulation period. And I believe we all understand that. And so if the rapture is placed to allow us to have an avoidance from the wrath of God, then we must consider where is the rapture placed on God's prophetic timetable that will allow the children of God, the body of Christ, to, uh, to escape the wrath of God. We already realize we've escaped it, thank God, through salvation. Amen. There's none of us that are going to experience God's wrath in hell if you're saved by the grace of God. But God doesn't stop it there. He wants us to be free and saved and escape any kind of wrath that is to come from God according to this verse. Amen. What we are to obtain and possess is salvation from the Lord, deliverance from the Lord. We've talked about how the Bible publishes this. We talked about Romans 13, 11, and 12. We've talked about 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse number 1 through 4. And that is where we concluded at the last time we were in this passage of Scripture. Look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 again. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Do y'all remember what we read about and studied about in Romans chapter number 13 where the Bible says in Romans chapter, uh, now well I guess hold your place there and just look back at Romans 13 just by a way of laying your eyes on it and remembering where we left off. It has been several weeks since we've been in this passage uh, due to dealing with Christmas and other subjects that God has given us. Revel or excuse me, Romans chapter uh, number 13 Verse number 11. Romans 13, verse 11. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. 
When we compare these two, there's a truth that stands out. Romans 13, verse number 11 says, and that, says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Why? For the night is far spent. We are in what I called the ninth season of Bible prophecy. We are closer to the coming of the Lord than we are the creation of this world. We are toward the end of God's prophetic timetable. The night is far spent. The day, he says, is at hand. Do you remember what I mentioned about the day being at hand? The difference between dark and night is night time is a lull period in our 24 hour day. The dark time is where we most of us, unless you work third shift or work in hospitals or something or jails or something of that nature, amen, that requires around the clock care. The night time is where most of us do less than we normally do. We sleep. We may get up to get the occasional drink of water, but it's very much less activity in the dark time. But when the daylight comes again and the night, the night is over and the day uh, dawns, business begins to pick up. And amen, I'm telling you, we're in a dark time now in Bible prophecy. We're in a dark time as a world. Amen. As we head toward the, as we are in the end of times and head toward the rapture of the church. But friend, can I remind you that the day is coming. Amen. Business is about to pick up for the child of God and for the world. Amen. So the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So Romans 13 says there is a day that is at hand. Now look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1. The Bible says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him. The last time we were together, we all agreed together that verse number one, when it talks about the coming of our Lord, was the rapture of the church. We all agreed that the church is gathering unto Him, speaks of and is indicative of the rapture, our gathering together unto Him. So Paul is using the rapture and the coming of the Lord to beseech them and to beg them, to implore them to hear what he's about to say. Right. Verse 2, he says, he beseeches them, implores them by the rapture, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, he is trying to reassure these individuals who have received false doctrine that the day of Christ is upon them and it is causing fear to be in them. And Paul is letting them know in the verses that we are about to read and deal with this morning, he is reassuring them that the day of Christ is not at hand. And in verse number three and four, he gives some reasons why. But that brings the problem that I must remind you of this morning. And that is Romans 13 verse 11 uh, through the verses that followed that paragraph said that the day is at hand. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4 tells us that the day of Christ is not at hand. 
So there either the Bible has made a grave error and mistake, and there is a is an issue and a, is a problem with the Word of God, or the two days cannot be the same kind of day. Right. We know there's no problem with the Scriptures. Amen. Right. By the way, the best way for you to study your Bible is to always come to your Bible with that resolutely in your mind yes, that there are no problems with the Bible. If there are supposed contradictions in the Scripture, if I will do my due diligence and pray it out and study it out, God will reveal to me the light of His Scripture that I have not yet realized yet. I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not a very old man by any means, but I have lived my entire life from the age of eight as a young Christian when God called me to salvation and then God called me to preach later on the same year. I've been given my life to the study of God's Word from age eight to 28. And for the last 20 years, every time I've ever thought God might have made a mistake or a penman might have said, I wrote it down wrong. Amen. By the way, thank God I've had good Bible teaching. That didn't last long. What it told me was, well, that looks like a contradiction. Let me study it out and find why it's not, because I know it's not. That's the way we should study the Bible. That's what we want to do this morning. We realize that this cannot be if the day of Christ is mentioned by name in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 2. Romans 13 cannot be talking about uh, the day of Christ. I have already submitted to you, and I realize there may be folks even in our own congregation that may disagree with me on this, but I hope by the time we're done, at least this morning, you will, even if you don't agree with me, you'll at least understand why I believe what I believe on these passages of Scripture. I've already told you I believe Romans 13, when that day is dawning and that day is coming, that day is at hand, I believe that day he's talking about the rapture. A single day, a single moment, a single period of time. Amen. I feel like he's telling us that the coming of the Lord is at hand, that the coming of the Lord is soon to come. I believe the entire context of Romans 13 points us in that direction. However, I will submit to you that I believe that this uh, day of Christ that we're speaking of, while there are multitudes of people that say that this is the rapture, that th that cannot be. I believe that it at the very least has to be the tribulation period. And if it's not exclusively the tribulation period, it has to be a time that encompasses the tribulation period and begins with the tribulation period. And I've given you some reasons why I must... I'm have to move on this morning. But we see if verse number one talks about, we beseech you brethren by the coming of the Lord, if he, we've already talked about the uh, complete uh, the, 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 the complete uh, contradiction that would be found in these verses if he was talking about the rapture. But just consider this. We beseech you brethren by the coming of the Lord. It's talking about the rapture. By our gathering together unto him. That's talking about the rapture. If the rest of the verse is talking about the rapture, this doesn't make sense. We beseech you brethren by the rapture that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the rapture is at hand let no man deceive you by any means for the rapture shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition now, I've already submitted to you this truth, that if that is talking about the rapture, Paul is not a very good encourager. Right. 
He's trying to reassure these believers that by the rapture that the day of Christ is not at hand. If he is trying to reassure them that the rapture, if the day of Christ is a rapture, if he's trying to assure them the rapture is not at hand, then how encouraging would it be for them to say, well, the rapture is not at hand for you, child of God, a time where you shouldn't worry, but you should look forward to because you'll get to be with the Lord forever. But here he says, don't you worry. If, he, if this is the rapture, him saying, don't you worry about the rapture because that rapture that you don't have to worry about. It's not going to happen yet until there is a falling away and then the Antichrist exposes himself and comes on the scene. That's not encouraging. Amen. It's not encouraging to me for the man of sin to be revealed, the son of perdition, and he goes about opposing God in a very public way. That's not encouraging to me. So he'd be defeating his purpose of giving them some kind of consolation here. So we know the day of Christ has to be something else. And according to verse number 3, it has to be a period of time. By the way, the wording here leads us to believe this is not a single event. The rapture, while it is while it is individual in nature that each Christian will go, it is a collective time, but it will be one event. It'll be one day. The Bible says it'll be in the fraction of a moment. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Amen. The Bible says that's when we'll be raptured. So it is one moment. The wording of this text here would lead us to believe that it is not one moment of time, but it is a period of time. That day shall not come. The day of Christ shall not come unless these things happen. There has to be prerequisites to this event happening. And as I've studied the scriptures, there, are, there is nothing left to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place. Are y'all following right. me this morning? Right. Let me give you some reasons this morning why I believe this has to be the coming, of, the, 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 the coming of the tribulation period, the beginning of that day. And I'm going to give you some truths that I told you I'd give you about the falling away. Look at verse 3. He says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, speaking about the day of Christ, shall not come except there be a falling away First, what is the pr first prerequisite to the day of Christ? There must be a falling away first. And added to that prerequisite, Paul mentions another one. And that man of sin, that man of sin is a biblical term for the Antichrist. Right. That the man of sin, the Antichrist, be revealed. And how is he to be revealed? He is to be revealed as the son of perdition. If the, if the day of Christ is the rapture of the church, then that means whatever the falling away is has to happen before the rapture and the Antichrist must not, you know, we believe in the imminent return of the Lord and in doing so we must believe that it is possible for the Antichrist to be alive today. Right. We must believe that. But the scripture does not say that the man of sin be born but it says that the man of sin must be revealed. 
for the whole world to realize that this is their man. This is the one that's going to bring the world together underneath his banner. This is the one that they are going to receive as more than a man, but someone to be worshipped and someone to be followed and someone to be recognized as God. If that is the rapture, and I do not believe it is, if that's the rapture, when the Bible removes the, all mentions of the church in any passage where it's talking about the Antichrist, then we have quite a dilemma. Because after Revelation chapter number 4, you do not find a collective gathering of the body of Christ again into Revelation chapter number 19. Unless it's in heaven. Revelation 5, I believe the church is represented there, but it's in heaven. It's a heavenly scene. But as far as us being to gather together on the earth, after that come up hither in Revelation chapter number 4, we're not, we're not found together until after the man of sin is revealed, until after Revelation chapter number 13, where this Antichrist is making a grand entrance upon the scene of history. So if that's the case, as many even among our own ranks stand for and believe, we've got quite a problem, do we not? You say, preacher, according to the Bible, and I could take time to prove this, but I'm not going to this morning, as I've had somebody tell me before that I do all your homework for you. I'm not going to do all your homework today. You study, you study the, what the Bible says in Daniel. You study what the Bible says in Revelation and in the other prophetical chapters of the Bible. This tribulation period is when this Antichrist, the man of sin, is going to be revealed. Yes, sir. If he's going yeah, it, it's near, it's after, it is according to the Bible, it's after the church is gone and after the world goes into the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation period, that the Antichrist to, it becomes to uh, the forefront, amen, and is revealed. So let's notice a few things this morning. Go with me. Here we have, we've seen 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse number 3. This first prerequisite is that there must be a falling away first. What does that mean? This may be all we get to this morning. What does the falling away first mean? I've told you before that the way that we're trying to set up for this message. The way that most people in churches today talk about this verse and quote this verse is where they say, well, the church, the church numbers are dwindling. The offerings are going down. We're losing members. The church is a shell of its former self. Whatever the case may be, that's usually when it comes out. And to reassure a Christian that's discouraged by that, or to try to reassure a pastor that's been discouraged by that, most will say, well, you know the Bible says there has to be a falling away first. And so they equate the lack of church members and numbers in church and the lack of all of the, all of the spirituality of the world that we're living in and the decline in godliness from previous generations to this generation, even here in America, they equate it all to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy and the falling away. But is that what this verse is talking about? Is this verse talking about that before the tribulation comes, our churches have got to dwindle down to nothing? Is this talking about, well, uh, that we just have got to be less godly than we've ever been before the tribulation, before a requirement for the tribulation period to begin? I don't believe that's what this is saying. Go with me to Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8 this morning. 
I want to give you a passage of Scripture that talks about a falling away by name called something a falling away. Okay? Like I said, this is probably a little bit of teaching this morning. But this is one of the very few, if not on, the only place in the Scriptures outside of our text that dis discreetly and explicitly talks about a falling away. Look at Luke chapter number 8, and look with me at verse number 11. Look at verse number 11. Brother Norman, this is one of your favorite passages. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now, the parable is this. This was talking about the parable of the sower. Okay? He's already taught, given the parable of the sower, verse 4 to verse 10. Jesus is now about to do something. I love it when Jesus does in the Scripture. He gives a teaching, and then He interprets His teaching. I love that. Amen? Verse number 11, He says, Now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear... Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. So what is the context of these verses to start with? The context is the word of God and how men respond to the word of God. Is that not right? How we receive the word of God. And here in verse number 12 in particular it is salvific doctrine. It is salvation teachings. It is those that they, they, they have an opportunity to believe the word and be saved. Those by the wayside are they that hear and then come at the devil and take the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. That they on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. So the doctrine thus far being taught by this parable is that everyone needs to be mindful how they hear the word of God. Amen. I do believe that we ought to be careful how we hear. Amen. Our children sing about it. Be careful little ears what you hear. Amen. We ought to be very careful how we hear the word of God, and that hearing of the Word of God is directly correlated with our belief unto salvation. Is that not right? right. Amen. There are some, they hear our the way. Every Sunday morning, we come in every Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, as a church body, we preach salvation doctrine. We mention it in every service, how to be saved. We tell people we want them to come to Christ. They hear the gospel. It is up to them how they hear. If they are not careful how they hear. If they hear with a heart not willing to receive they can reject the scriptures. The devil is after them to take what they have heard away from them and to cause them to not believe on the salvation. There are many different responses to the gospel message. Amen. Jesus put another, another way. He, he, he told us that there are some that hear. There are some that reject and there are some that delay their uh, giving, uh, giving themselves to the truth of the gospel. But also in this context here, <clears throat> he mentions for this verse 13, and they on the rock are they 
which when they hear receive the word of with joy. They receive it. They're excited about it. But these have no root. Let me ask you this. Have you ever known or heard of someone that made a profession of faith, maybe even a joyful profession of faith in a church service, and then they went out and lived in the world and denied their what they once made a profession of. You've ever heard about these people that say, well, I tried Christianity and it just didn't work for me. Let me tell you, you might have you tried some kind of religious organization or some kind of church denomination or some kind of, some kind of uh, mental ascent toward Bible teaching, but you did not try true born-again Christianity, amen, because number one, Christianity is not something you try, amen. It is something that you possess through salvation because of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you never will get a good dose of true, genuine, second birth salvation, being born again from above and ever say it didn't work for me. Here's why, Brother Gary. From the moment we give our hearts to Jesus, we are in that very instant before you're even done breathing in the breath that you called on God to save you from. God has already made you a new creature in Christ. How can you say it just didn't do nothing for me? Where if you believed in faith, you're not even the same man you used to be. It did everything for us. Amen. It changed not only our world here, but it changed our eternity to come. My salvation did everything of value and worth for me. But there are some that will say they made a profession of faith and tried Christianity, and then they go off and deny God's existence and deny their salvation and deny everything that we believe. Do you know why they will? It's because they, we, we, we use the cliche they had a profession and not a position. This verse says it did not take root in them. As an eight-year-old boy, when I bowed my head and asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me, amen, that, 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 that salvation, because it was genuine in my heart, and I truly want it took root in me, Brother Tommy. Amen. And here 20 years later, I've never been the same. And here 20 years later, I just want more and more of Him than I ever wanted in the past. And I want to grow more and be more for God's glory. It took root in me, but it's not that way with everybody. And what will cause them to go away from that? Time of temptation. And in time of temptation, fall away. Do you see the teaching here? Falling away in the Scripture is indicative of someone who has heard salvation doctrine. They have heard the truth. It did not take root in them. And when they fall away, it, the word for fall away in both passages is, is a word that is a variant of the word apostasia in the Bible, apostasy. What it means is, is they made a complete revolt from. Those people that say they tried Christianity, they don't say they tried the Baptist religion and then become a Lutheran or the other way. They didn't start out a Lutheran and become a Catholic or become a Baptist or become a Methodist or whatever it is. They didn't stay within the realm of what we would call mainstream Christianity. They go from being a believer to being a diehard atheist every time. You know why? They committed apostasy. 
They revolted from the truth. It did not hook up with them. They did not have it as a possession. And they completely abandoned it and despised it and want nothing to do with it. Falling away is a revolt from salvific doctrine, from Bible truth, from anything godly altogether. You're not just leaving a Bible study. You're leaving God. Time of temptation. Fall away. Here, he's talking about what brings about the apostasy. It is when the fire is put to what they have. The hard times, the difficult days, the troublesome times, it really puts to the test what they claim to have. You do realize that James tells us that our faith will be tried with fire. Amen. There will be a moment in our lives where our works will be tried. And I'm not just talking about an end time judgment. I'm not talking about uh, the, the, I'm not just talking about the judgment seat of Christ where Christ will uh, put to test our works. I'm talking about in this life there will be times where if you are a faith for you, call yourself a believer, you will find out what you're made of. Amen. You go through what this family here, we just announced it this morning, a time of losing a loved one, you'll, you'll find out what you're made of. The reason why Brother Caldwell is able to be in church this morning, sit here and listen to preaching and have the joy of the Lord is because, thank God, there was something rooted in him. Amen. But if you don't have root, you lose, you lose something like you. you, you th I think about the Wilsons. I know they had a slew of children. What many of you may not know is back in 2009, they had a baby that they had for a month. And now they've, they've got a little place where they can go visit her to where she didn't make it, but just about a month of age. And they had to lay one of their precious babies beneath the sod. If you don't have a root, there's no telling how far you'll fly off the handle. I'm t I don't understand how people live in this world of uncertainty and filled with darkness without Jesus. I'm tell it's hard enough to live in this world at times with a peace that passes all understanding that keeps us and stabilizes us and secures us and keeps us from flying off the handle when things get hard. If I don't have a root... If you don't have a root, there's no telling where we'd be and what we'd do and what we would say and what we'd claim about what we believe and how far away from God we would go. You know what happens in those moments? Usually when those hard times come, anybody that's ever had any kind of Christian teaching will at least have understood that God is the one that's in control of everything. And because there is no spirit, there is no true spiritual root anchoring them to Christ and they've just given a mental assent toward Christian doctrine and they know a little bit about God but they are not, they do not belong to God and there is no working of the Spirit of God in their life because they're not genuinely born again. As I said, they just tip their hat to Christian doctrine and they have just agreed that that would be something good for them to do or ascribe to or whatever. It never made it to their heart. You know, the first thing they'll do is saying, if God is really in control, why did he let this happen? Yeah. Yeah. And it will cause a deep hatred and a resentment in their heart toward God and they don't want anything to do with it at all. 
That's where a lot of our atheists are coming from. The militant atheists of our day, many of them were raised in church, raised around the things of God, but it never took root. And here in the passage it says that in time, those hard times where that faith that you claim to have is put to the test, you'll find out how little you have and you will fall away. Now, the tribulation period is, is a time of temptation, is it not? It's called the tribulation period. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. The whole tribulation period is a time of testing on the entire world. Yes. In particular, it is a time of testing that is pointed at the Jewish people right. to remind them of what they did when they rejected Christ, to tell them, to, to point them to their need of the Messiah again as a nation. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. God always prophetically has his mind, has his eye and focus toward Israel, has his mind on the nation of Israel. It is a time of temptation. It is a temptation period. It is a tribulation, a trying period, just as this scripture talks about. And the Bible says that falling away takes place in, the in a time of temptation. You, in your study of the Bible, you must let Scripture speak to Scripture. You compare Scripture with Scripture. Don't just read a commentary and assume that that man's right. You let the Bible be the definition of itself. When the Bible gives in context another time where God himself, and this is from the mouth of the Lord Jesus, defines what falling away is. It is where we, in context to salvation, in context to rejecting truth about Christ, in context of hearing the truth and absolutely apostatizing from it, he says that's when a falling away takes place in a time of temptation. So here when the Bible says go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3 let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Again I'll remind you this is not people just being less religious and less faithful because it wouldn't be a falling away if that was the case. Because if you fight, Brother Cody fell away, then Brother Garrett fell away, and then Brother Jeremy fell away, and Brother Tommy fell away, that's not a falling away, that's many falling aways. Right. Plural. This is one single time, one single event in a period of time known as the day of Christ. Let's read the rest of these verses together and see if we can identify what a falling away is in the very words of the Apostle Paul here in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. You all want to try to do it this evening, this morning? Amen. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there, be, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Paul's right there for just a moment. Let me ask you, has that happened yet? No. Then this day is not at hand right. yet. And the day of Christ will not happen until that has already happened. Do you all see that? Verse 5, Remember ye not that when I was with you I told you these things. In other words, that was a sermon he preached to them face to face at another day. Verse 6, 
And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Number one, let's define who he is. He points us back to that man of sin. That he must be revealed. The one they're talking about here is the Antichrist. Now ye know what withholdeth that he might, uh, I'm, I'm sweating, I can't hardly read my Bible, that he might be revealed in his time. In other words, in these verses and that sermon that pointed you, that I'm reminding you about with these words, there had been instruction in what is withholding that man of sin from being revealed. Okay, let's hold on to what that what is and we'll read. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he that now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Okay, now we have another he that we have to define. Verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Pause here for a minute. Verse number, I hope y'all are seeing this. Verse 7, he gives us a he, but does not define who the pronoun he is. Verse 8, in talking about the Antichrist, that's another word for the Antichrist, that wicked be revealed. Remember, we're talking about the one that's to be revealed, man of sin. All of these are synonyms because the context is who's going to be revealed. He's already told us who's going to be revealed. Okay? So, in the fact he gives us an undefined he, and then in the next verse calls somebody else that wicked, that lets us know the he of verse, uh, verse, number, uh, verse number seven is not the Antichrist. Or else he would continue with the pronoun he. Does that make sense? Verse number nine, even him... So this is that wicked one. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Y'all stay with me for a few more minutes. We'll be done. Because they, they the ones that are perishing are perishing because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now is this starting to sound a little bit like the context of Luke chapter number 8 where the context was hearing the word of truth, how to be saved, how to believe. Wouldn't you say the message of salvation that we preach talks about love in that truth? They did not receive the love of the truth. Who's the love of the truth? Christ is. His sacrifice is. His love for sinners. That's the love of the truth. They did not receive that. That they might be be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And what happens when they believe a lie? Verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, and, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 11 and verse 12 talks about that they believed not the truth. A willful rejection 
of all that they had heard, of all of salvific truth, of all of the truth that the Bible talks about, the love of the truth. They apostatized by their own volition, by their own desire, by not being saved. They will no longer believe the truth. It's not an option for them. That's why this verse right here is why we do not believe people will be saved during the tribulation period. The Bible says if you make it to the tribulation period, you will believe a lie. You will be damned. There is no more hope for you. If you've heard the gospel on this side and rejected it, and the you enter into the tribulation period, you will believe the lie of the Antichrist and will serve him as your God and not Jesus Christ. What is the falling away? It's that moment. In, time, in a time of temptation, people fall away. They fall away by rejecting truth. They fall away by not believing what they hear. They fall away because it had no root in them. They fall away and apostatize against all that is true. What is the falling away that must take place before the day of Christ comes? And in, in, in connection with the man of sin being revealed, the son of perdition, it is when the rapture takes place. Those that have heard the gospel and are left behind. They, the Bible says that they will reject Christ. They will not believe. They cannot believe. They will believe the lie of the Antichrist. That will happen, and the day of Christ will not take place. And uh, uh, the, the 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 rapture and this uh, this uh, day of the Christ being at hand. That day will not happen unless the falling away, that complete rejection, the church is removed. Those that are left behind believe the lie of the Antichrist, and then when they do, he has full reign to reveal himself as the son of perdition. Unless that takes place, that day of Christ won't happen. And the, all of those things describe the tribulation period. Is that not right? right. All of those things have to take place in the tribulation. You know what that tells me? I've gotten more tonight. You know what that tells me? We must. We don't, if we're going to believe that Bible, we must believe in a pre-trib rapture. Is that not what that says? We don't have a choice. If the Bible's true, we have to believe in a pre-trib rapture because that tribulation period will not happen until all of those things take place and they cannot take place until we're no longer here. If he's dealing with those that are left behind. If they're left behind, then that means somebody had to be part of the crowd that leaves to leave others behind. We, friend, We've got to believe in a pre-trib rapture. The placement of the rapture, it allows us an avoidance. It allows us something to escape. We escape the tribulation period. We escape the man of sin. We escape the, the Antichrist. We escape the false prophet. We escape apostasy. We escape damning our souls to hell by rejecting the truth. Thank God for all of the things this morning that we get to escape because we've trusted Christ. Amen. Amen. You say, preacher, you've been preaching about the Christian's comfort. Oh, yes. The fact of a pre-trib rapture 
the fact that I'm not going through tribulation period, the fact that I never have to, I never have to deal with a world that's in control of the Antichrist because the world I'm going to be living in in that moment is going to be, I'm going to be in heaven with my Savior in a world that only He controls. Amen. And corruption can't enter there. Amen. All of those things, that brings great comfort to me. It brings me great comfort to be able to extend that kind of salvation to somebody else. To be able to say that not only did I escape all of this, but you can too. What a joy it is to know, not because of what this church teaches, although it is what we teach, not because this is my opinion, but because of what the Word of God says, we have some very drastic events that we're going to miss out on. And it's not as, 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 we, as we pre-tribbers have been accused of, of just being weakling Christians that are afraid to go through trouble. I don't believe what I believe because I'm afraid of the tribulation period. Although I think we'd all be smart to fear that time. I believe what I believe because it's right there in black and white. In the King James Bible, God inspired that word for us. That's what God wanted us to understand. And we compare Scripture with Scripture. What glorious realities it tells us about what we as the children of God can have comfort in. That thank God we will never see. It has not been appointed unto us to be appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord. Amen. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh,